0: And welcome back to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast. This is Christine Carlson. Before we begin with our interview today, I want to take our golden pause. So wherever you are, sit comfortably and cross your legs if you're seated in a chair, and if you're seated Indian style, just do so and sit back and lean back and place your palms open on your lap. Close your eyes and just begin to breathe with me, breathing in through your nose allowing your chest and your belly to fully expand, taking in the fullness of your breath. On the exhale, just relax, release, and let go. And Breathing in pure golden sunlight to the top of your head, to the tips of your fingers and your toes. On the exhale, just release what doesn't serve you. Breathing in pure golden sunlight to every cell of your being, On the exhale, just let yourself sink in a little bit deeper. Breathing in pure golden sunlight to the top of your head, to the tips of your fingers and your toes. Exhale, release, and let go. Breathing in pure golden sunlight to every cell of your being, place your hand on your heart, activating your heart, opening your heart. And spend a moment thinking of one thing you feel grateful for. And as you breathe in that golden gratitude through your heart, through your mind, through your entire body, on the exhale, release, relax, and let go. Breathing in pure golden gratitude to the top of your head, to the tips of your fingers and your toes, on the exhale, release what doesn't serve you. Breathing in pure golden gratitude through your mind, through your heart, through your core. On the exhale, allow that gratitude to wash over you like a cascading waterfall of pure joy. Breathing in pure golden gratitude to the top of your head, to the tips of your fingers and your toes. On the exhale, allow it to wash over you again like a cascading waterfall of pure joy. And taking one last deep breath in of pure golden gratitude, on the exhale, go ahead and open your eyes. All right. We have a wonderful interview and guest today for our series, Finding the Gifts in Grief and Loss. His name is John Welshan. He's a very, very special friend. Ramananda is his spiritual teacher name. He is a contemporary spiritual teacher and a meditation teacher whose teachings weave together the world's great mystical and contemplative traditions. He lectures and leads workshops, classes, and retreats across North Amer- Northern America. He was a close friend and associate of Ramdas and Stephen Levine and trained in 1976 with Dr. Elizabeth Kubla-Ross. He has traveled and studied extensively in India, spending time at the ashrams of Meher Baba and Neem Karoli Baba. He holds a Bachelor of Arts in Comparative Religions from the University of Southern Florida and an MA in History of Religions from Florida State. And he is the author of three critically acclaimed books One Soul, One Love, One Heart, When Prayers Aren't Answered, and Awakening from Grief, all published by New World Library. His website is www.johnwelshuns.com. Welcome, John.
1: Thank you, Chris. I'm so happy to be with you.
0: Me too. Me too. What I want you all to know is um, John and I have been friends for many, many years. He's a very dear friend of my late husband, Richard Carlson. And um, yeah, just it's so fun to have him on the podcast because um, one of his books, um, Awakening from Grief, was one of my favorite books that I read during grief. And of course, I was so blessed and fortunate to have John um, be like, I was so lucky. He was like my grief coach, so I couldn't have been in better hands. <laughs> he would let me call him at any time um, that I needed to, which I remember being quite frequently in the beginning.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so welcome, John. I, I thought you'd be such a, a wonderful addition um, to this podcast, talking about the grit, the gifts of grief and loss, which is kind of a really unique way of people thinking that there could be even gifts in grief and loss. Um, I know sometimes we understand things differently after coming a long cycle out of grief and, and realizing all the gifts. And I just want to start with you by talking about your book, Awakening from Grief, and how that came about.
1: Wow. Well. How much time do we have?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, it came about, um, because I, uh, up until the point that I wrote it, which was, uh, it was first published 20 years ago. And, um, I had been through incredible joy in my life and incredible suffering. And, um, when I first met Ram Dass in 1973, he said to me, you know, I have been finding being with people who are dying to be the highest spiritual practice I've ever come across. And I didn't get it at first. And then what was interesting was I thought about it and I thought, well, five years earlier, four years earlier, actually, I had sat at my mother's bedside as she died at the age of 55 and you know in truth chris um when i was younger i was dealing with both of my parents being very serious alcoholics that's a major source of grief that we don't often characterize as grief cuz you know i think that we we don't really embrace the full experience if we're thinking that grief is just about people dying. There is grief in every form of loss that we have, and we experience loss every day of our lives. So, um, And then especially what our friend Ken Druck likes to call living losses, which are cases where, for instance, you have a parent or a loved one who's addicted or uh, alcoholic or Uh, Alzheimer's is another big living loss where you're losing someone while they're still alive. They're going away. And um, so it occurred to me at a fairly early age that um, there is an abundant amount of loss in life. And that doesn't negate the happiness in life. It also occurred to me that we don't really deal with it very effectively. We don't deal with loss very effectively. We get the message from the culture that we're supposed to be happy all the time. And that just isn't possible. So, um, you know, I think of you and Richard having one of the most beautiful, happy marriages that I have ever been privileged to witness. And then he died suddenly, you know, at the age of 45 and I see things like that all the time. So um, the book then became um, actually was originally inspired by our friends Stephen and Andrea Levine. I began working with Ramdas. He introduced me to Stephen. Stephen had been working with Elizabeth Kubler Ross. Um, Ramdas had suggested, actually, that Stephen and I go meet Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in 1976. We both met her at the same time. And um, so there came a point where uh, I was asked to write a series of articles. I wrote them, and I sent them to Stephen and Andrea to see what they thought. And they said, well, this is going to be the beginning of your book. And I said, what book? (laughs) (laughs) They said, you're going to write a book. I said, I am they said, oh, absolutely. And then what I decided was um, that Stephen's book, Who Dies, to me was like my Bible. And um, I used to recommend it to people. And I would find sometimes that if people didn't have a, a fairly substantial exposure and background to Eastern philosophies, that they had a hard time understanding it. So I suggested to Stephen I said why don't I write a who dies for the general public that'll be a little more accessible he said that's a great idea and he supported it and endorsed it and that was how awakening from grief came into being
0: Oh my gosh that's an amazing story and I um I just have so much respect for um Stephen and Andrea you know and I know is is Andrea still here she's he she's still she here that's still such...
1: living on their mountain in in New Mexico, you know they bought about 140 acres, I think it was many years ago. She lives there alone now. Stephen died a few years ago,
0: which is so ironic because their whole story was that she, when they met, they fell in love. She was diagnosed with the the illness, the terminal illness, correct? Right.
1: That's right. And, and then, and then he dealing with that, but that's. Been... <laughs> And then
0: he died first. I just think that's amazing. Like that's just that must have just been a real mind blower to both of them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that they did was they used their work with people who were dying and grieving to help them to focus on what was really important in life. Yes. And it helped them to work on their own healing because they both had physical issues and So they they bought this property in the mountains of New Mexico and attributed their longevity to that, to being there basically alone and working on their spiritual and physical healing.
0: That's amazing. So John, when you say awakening from grief, can you just talk about that a little bit, like what you mean by that?
1: Sure, sure. What I mean, Chris, and I think you can probably relate to this, is that there's a very interesting thing about how our culture has taught us and encouraged us not to think about our mortality, not to recognize the fact that we're all going to die and we don't know when or how. So um, that in itself causes us, or at least allows us, to essentially sleepwalk through life. In other words, not realizing that um, any day could be our last or the last for someone we love. And when you have a sudden loss or an unexpected loss or an unwanted change in life, you really have two choices. One is to just implode emotionally and fall apart. And sometimes you have to do that for a little while. And the other choice is um, maybe ultimately there is some way to figure out how to take this experience and awaken out of that sleepwalking I was doing before this this loss happened. How can I, you know, going back to Stephen, you know, I started setting up workshops for he and Andrea back in the early 80s. And I remember the first one, I said, okay, we're all set up. What are we going to call the workshop? It was about dying and and grieving. And he said, we're going to call it Being Fully Alive. And I thought, (laughs)
0: that's awesome.
1: (laughs) I said, that's amazing because, you know, it really, I have found To be the the impetus to wake up, you know, nowadays, and especially this actually began right after Richard died. Um, I added to my morning meditation the reflection that today could be my last day on earth or the last for someone I love. In light of that, how do I want to spend this day?
0: Oh, I love that. How what beautiful.
1: do I want to fill my mind with, you know? How do I want to treat people? Do I want to be cranky and caustic or do I want to be loving and kind? Or do I <laughs> want to be selfish or do I want to be generous? And, um, you know, it, it really puts things in perspective, but our culture has taught us not to think about that because we think it will depress us. Well, it may depress us initially, but when we get to the reality of it and realize there's no escape from that reality, then we might as well surrender to it and say, how can I use this awareness to awaken? So that's really what I'm talking about. That's what the title refers to.
0: I love that so much because, of course, in my own story, I realized that's exactly what had happened to me is... I was living very asleep to the fact that life could change on a dime. And I mean, ironically, Richard wasn't. He lived as if he kind of did. He lived that way that you'd, that you'd talk about, that he would wake up and, and think about, what if this was my last day? And, you know, he left us notes all over the house and all sorts of things that showed that he lived that way. But I wasn't living that way. I was living the very traditional way asleep to the fact that life could change on a dime. But I mean, I'm happy to say, probably because I had you and some other really wise people around me, I did choose to um, have that experience as awful and horrific as it was um, to count for something in a, in a very positive way. Um, I did allow it to wake me up to a deeper level of understanding and feeling life. And so to me that's what awakening is. It's the opening of the heart, the shattering of of all of the stuff that you put around your heart inadvertently, unknowingly. You you know, we live our lives and we protect our heart and then something happens and it all just completely falls apart inside, but then what happens then is we get to emerge as we are versus how we have been living under these ideas of what we are, or, you know, all the ego stuff that, you know, we don't even know is there. So I love that so much. Um, When you think about the, the gifts um, for you in your own life of, of grieving and loss, what are those top gifts? Like what, what, Besides this idea, which is huge, that you get to hold your mortality very close, which is huge. That's a huge gift. And I I always say that's a huge gift that everyone who dies before us gives us. Everyone. Because it reminds us every single time the same thing. Oh, my gosh. Yes, this happens. It happens to everyone. And we don't know when. But what else?
1: You know, and it's interesting. Just to pick up on what you just said, there's a great phrase from Rumi the Jalaluddin Rumi, the great Sufi poet, who said, um, death and grief are enormous gifts the universe gives us that most of us leave unopened.
0: Ooh. Ooh. Okay, I'm going to write that one down. That's a good one.
1: (laughs) That's a good one. So I think the greatest gift really is just what I alluded to, that, um, that it just wakes me up, you know, it wakes me up. And so I actually, right around the time that Richard died, I started waking up in the morning and going, my God, I'm alive, you know, and I was going through a very difficult time. I'd been going through a divorce and business issues and, oh my goodness. But I thought, and, and one of my dearest friends had just died. And, you know, I, but I'd look out the window and say, wow. And whatever the weather was like, suddenly, you know, I always like sunshine and warm weather. So I didn't really notice, except the fact that I didn't like cold weather and so on. Well, now it's starting to get cold here in New Jersey, where I live, and it's just beautiful. You know, (laughs) I felt that bracing cold wind on my face today as I was walking around and I'm looking at seeing the glorious colors of the leaves and the trees. So it's noticing, it's really noticing what is going on right now because I don't know if I have tomorrow. And that really, you know, maybe more important than anything, comes into our relationships and the people we love. And, you know, my partner Maureen, when we part in the morning, I just have to take a moment and say, you know, maybe I'll never see her again. Maybe she'll never see me again. And um, to just take a moment to reflect on that, like we better have a really good hug, you know, a really good kiss, because it isn't it isn't going to be enough if we're just oh yeah hi see you later you know have a good day. It's more than that. It's more than that. And um, that's been a great blessing, you know. And that's all part of awakening. It's just waking up, being fully alive. Realizing that you're going to lose everything eventually and uh, not to hold on so tightly, or as Ramdas used to like to say, hold on tightly, let go lightly.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I, you know, one of the things that's really also occurred to me after going through loss, too, is this idea that. Without loss and without understanding the depth of the feeling that that brings to our lives, we don't really get to experience the true joy because we don't. There's like something about, I don't know, there's something about, it goes back to what Cahil Gabran says in the prophet that your greatest joy is your sorrow unmasked. Mm-hmm. And there's this depth of feeling that I noticed just increased my awareness so Um, so much like it also awakened that sense of really like being able to um, see life and and experience life in a much greater capacity you know like that you get to have like that great love affair with your life
1: yeah and Yeah.
0: yeah and without that without that duality that that sense of you know um Almost like there's the there's the point at which, if you thought about your soul and what your soul would why your soul would choose this this human life, you know, and you think about, well, the soul wants to experience everything the human life has to offer in it, it wants to experience physicality and eating great food and having a sexual relationship or your sexuality and having children or not, or a career, all the things that's human. And then you think, well, if we don't have sorrow, then we're only having half of the human experience. And so we, we have to have it all. And, and, and we get to have it all. And it doesn't mean any of us you know, want to lose anybody we love. We don't. Nobody wants to go through that. And we don't welcome it when it's there either. But when it does happen, um, and you do get to heal from that, You know, it it presents like, I remember you said to me once, I was, you said, don't leave this time of grief too quickly for joy. You said, because this is really fertile ground you stand on. Mm. And that really hit me. And I often tell people that myself, that, you know, this is very fertile ground we're going to talk about, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that a little bit.
1: Well, um, it's fertile ground in the sense that, you know, so many people are seeking some kind of deep meaning in life, but having little or no idea how to find it or recognizing it if it appears before them. Um, and. You know, the first quote in Awakening from Grief is from Joseph Campbell. It says, I don't think that what people are seeking is a meaning for life or meaning in life. He said, "Um, I think what we're seeking is an experience of being alive. You know, coming back to that same thing, to be truly, fully alive. Fully. Yeah. And I see, you know so many people over the years you can live a full life by our you know standards in this culture which would be at least 70 and then you know hopefully into your 80s and 90s and never have any idea what it's all about always thinking that life is something that's going to happen later i'll be happy when this happens or that happens or this stops happening or that stops. and i think that the One of the great lessons of loss is that what we have is whatever's present right now. This is it, you know, and if you're truly aware that this could be the last day of your life, well, then you might as well really suck the juice out of this moment because whatever it is, you know, why miss it? I mean, I've gotten down to the point, Chris, it's really quite bizarre but uh you know maybe for the last 15 years of my life i've been starting to realize how beautiful breathing is now i've had pneumonia a couple of times you know and boy and it's so interesting that i have a meditation practice that focuses on the breath but sometimes i can just sit and go wow oh. <laughs> you know i'm just breathing <laughs> and then i open my eyes and sometimes I'll look out at the trees that surround us where we live. And if they're just, you know, the branches are just moving so gently in the breeze and it's just like great ballet, you know, and I'm (laughs) sitting on our balcony going, oh my God, that's so beautiful. It's so simple. If somebody had told me when I was 18 years old that I would, at the age of 71, be sitting around enjoying breathing and watching the leaves blow, <laughs> they'd say, well, he obviously has dementia, too. Right?
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, that's great. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And so, so for you, then, the joy really does come with just the smallest recognition and notice, right? Like, that's what it sounds like.
1: I think the joy, see, we look for experiences of happiness and exhilaration and fascination and excitement when I think the joy is inherent in who we are. It's inherent in what you referred to earlier as our soul. You know, it's always with us, it's always present. If we just stop and allow it to come to the surface, The problem is that when it does come to the surface, we often think it was caused by whatever it was we were doing or whoever we were with when we felt it. What we're really feeling when we feel joy or love or peace, we're feeling our soul. We're feeling the essence of who we are. And it's always present. It was present before we were born. You know, it'll be present after we die. And to be able to tune to that almost at will to me is one of the great gifts of grief and loss you know it has forced me by forcing me to pay much more attention to what's happening in this moment to um you know it's forced me to just be happier more of the time (laughs) (laughs) and i thought gee wow it's so simple so simple
0: that's amazing So tell us, what are you up to these days? Are you writing any more books? Are you leading? Uh, How are you doing with the whole COVID thing? Are you starting to do workshops on Zoom? How can people find out more about how they can work with you, John?
1: Well, uh, they can email me at my email address is johnwelshons at earthlink.net. E-A-R-T-H-L-I-N-K.net. Or um, check my website, which is johnwelshons.com. And um, I'm doing, uh, ever since the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I, for many years, have had a Wednesday night meditation class here in New Jersey. And my heart sank when I had the thought of doing it on Zoom. Well, I don't know about your experience, but it's turned out for me that it it's, has been just wonderful.
0: It's great. Yeah, you can actually get, I mean, the results are pretty much the same. That's kind of crazy.
1: I think even better in a way because first of all now people can tune into the Wednesday night class uh, from all over the country and all over the world actually we occasionally have people get somebody on from Italy recently and England and Australia That's so great John
0: that's wonderful.
1: Yeah. I'm yeah. going to join. Oh good. We <laughs> yeah, love that. yeah.
0: I'm going to join. That sounds amazing. I want to do that.
1: Okay, and and we'll do an exchange. We'll do this, and I'll be in the host seat. and And uh, if you want to, you know, you can talk a little bit to the group. And yeah, absolutely,
0: it. absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna. I, do y'all hear that? You can join John Welshens on Wednesday evenings. What is the time of that?
1: Uh, seven p.m. Eastern.
0: Seven p.m. Eastern. So that would be four o'clock, um, Pacific West Standard West. Time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's wonderful. Well, John, thank you so much um, for being on the podcast today. I have just loved connecting with you again and having you on. And you've just been such a special friend. um, And we're just such a dear friend to Richard um, when he was alive, too. And just thank you. Thank you with all my heart. He was to
1: me. He was to me. Great. An amazing being. So thank you.
0: You're welcome. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening today. Um, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff. I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. Please share this with your family and your friends. And come back again. Christine is thrilled to announce that her book, Heartbroken Open, has been made into a lifetime movie starring Heather Locklear in her comeback to television. Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, the Christine Carlson story, Premieres at Lifetime on October 16th. Read the real story A True Page Turner and get your copy of Heartbroken Open at amazon and christinecarlson.com.